Now, I'm going to tell you about this fish. My dad loved to fish. Uh, that was his pastime. That was the way he relaxed. He actually had a boat, but he never had, any, he never had a fancy fishing boat, didn't have fancy fishing equipment. Uh, <clears throat> but he loved to go to the lake or to the river or to a stream and drown a worm, as he called it. And there was just some great memories going with Dad to drown a worm. Uh, and many times we go to this beautiful lake in the mountains of East Tennessee called Watauga Lake. And that's actually where I caught this fish. Uh, this is not the largest fish in the world. Certainly, you've probably caught bigger ones than this one. Uh, this is a smallmouth bass. And at the time that I caught it, it was actually the largest fish I had ever caught. Uh, I've caught some bigger ones since then, but at the time that I caught this fish, this, this was the biggest. But I really didn't mount it because of that. I mounted it mainly because I caught it with my dad. And it was just a special day. I remember it very clearly. Uh, we were on a pontoon boat in the middle of Watauga Lake, downrigging, if you know what that is. And uh, all of a sudden, I had the opportunity to, to drag this fish in. Now, one day, I don't remember when it was, one day after that, uh, <clears throat> I was living in North Carolina, and I'd come over to East Tennessee and, and go fishing from time to time, and one day, Dad went fishing without me, and he called me later, he, uh, I could tell he was excited, and, and he called me to tell me about his fishing trip, and he said, well, I outfished you today. I said, really? What did you catch? And I, I remember the excitement in his voice. He said, I, I called a guy named Steve, said, I led him to the Lord on the lake today. Now, you need to understand, yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> Can I tell you about, about my dad? He was not a pastor. My dad was a appliance repair man. Never even finished high school. Had to go to work and support his family. His dad died when he was five years old, and so before he ever, he didn't even go to high school. He had to stop and work in the mines of Emerville, Tennessee. So he never finished school. He never went to college, never went to seminary. He wasn't raised in a church. In fact, he wasn't even saved until he was a young adult, married. But one day, my dad started following Jesus, and over time, he became a fisher of men. Dad died on April the 7th, 2000. But one thing is for sure, before he died, he led many people to faith in Christ. Steve was not the only one. I heard story after story as I was growing up of someone that he witnessed to, someone he had led to faith in Christ. Now, here's the question I want to ask you today. Can you name one person that has come to Christ through your witness? Just one. I bet a lot of you can. I bet a lot of you could point to somebody as somebody in your family and maybe somebody that was a co-worker, a friend, a relative, all those kind of things. There, there's somebody you could say, yeah, yeah, I've, uh, probably a lot of you because we're a missions-minded church and we go on mission trips and probably a lot of you could say, yeah, I, I've led somebody to faith in Christ, but I bet some of you can't. I bet some of you would honestly, if you are open about it, would say, you know what? I've always wanted to do that. I just don't feel like that's one of my gifts. I just don't feel like that's something I'm comfortable with. And no, I've never done that, but I've always wanted to do that. Can I say to all of us, that is our calling from God? To use the time we have on this earth to make a difference in the lives of others? See, even if you're an, an appliance repair man, you, you can use the time you have on earth 
to make a difference in the lives of others. And in fact, that's really what it means to be a Christian. It's really what it's talking about to be a Christ follower. To use your time on earth to make a difference in the lives of others. Now that's just not my opinion. It comes out of Scripture, and I want to show it to you today. Would you take your Bibles and open God's Word to Mark chapter 1? The Gospel, we're reading through the Gospel of Mark, of course, and we go back to it again today. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. Now, this is the beginning. As he begins his his ministry, uh, he begins it in Galilee, and he begins his ministry proclaiming the good news of God. That's what you'd expect him to do. He's Jesus. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. And believe the what, church? The good news. Keep reading verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. I want to take just a moment and look closely at what these two verses tell us. I want you to notice that in verse 14, it says that he began his ministry by proclaiming the good news. You can translate that. He began his ministry talking about the good news from God and the good news about God. That's what it's really talking about. Good news from God and the good news about God. And here's how he describes it in verse 15. Let's break it down phrase by phrase. He says, first of all, the time has come. Part of the good news is this, the time has come. You see, the Jewish people were looking for a Messiah. (coughs) They were looking for God's special anointed one. And Jesus, Jesus was saying, you know all of those promises you've read in the Old Testament? You know all of those prophecies that you've heard the prophets talk about? The time has come. They are about to be fulfilled. The time is here. The time has come. All of those promises, all of those prophecies that you've been anticipating, the time has come. And then he says this, the kingdom of God is what? Kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. It's not here yet, but it is near. God is about to do something new. He, was, he is about to do something beyond your imagination. God's about to do a new thing And guess what? You can be a part of what God is about to do. And then he says, repent and behave. No. But that's the way we translate it, right? Uh, You you need to repent and behave. You You need to be a good Christian. You need to... But that's not what it says. Jesus said, repent and believe. It's an important phrase. Repent and believe the good news. Repent means a change of your mind that leads to a change in your life. It means to turn away from your sin and turn to God. Repent and believe means that you put your total faith, your total trust in Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want you to see. Put all of that back together. 
Look at verse 14 again, verse 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. I'm going to put in parentheses here. Jesus went into Galilee with an agenda. Jesus went into Galilee with an intention. (coughs) Excuse me. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. He traveled from village to village. He traveled from town to town to tell people the good news that they desperately needed because he came to make a difference in the world. So let me say it to you this way. Everybody listen very carefully. Let me say it to you this way. The places where Jesus lived and the places where he walked were different because he was there. Now you would say, well, of course it was. He's Jesus. Of course, the places where he lived were different because he was there. Of course, the places where he walked were different because he was there. I mean, he's Jesus. That's what you do if you're Savior of the world. But here's my question for you. What do you do if you're a follower of the Savior of the world? We have a role in that? If you are a follower of the Savior of the world, what do you do? Could it be that he wants us to do what he did? Now, I'll give you two points today if you're taking notes. Two two things for you to write down as we work our way through this text. The the first one is an obvious one, but, but... But write it down and let me explain it. Let me broaden it for you a little bit after you write it down. Here's the first point. Again, I know it's obvious, but let me broaden it for you. Here's the first point. Our primary call is to be a follower of Jesus. Now, I know most of you know that, but again, let me stretch it out for you a little bit. Our primary call is to be a follower of Jesus. Look at verse 17. Come, follow me, Jesus said. Let me give you a little historical background. All Hebrew boys went to the Torah school at the age of five. All Hebrew boys. They, they went to learn the law, the Torah, at the age of five. <clears throat> By the age of ten, all boys knew the Torah. They knew the law. And the best of the students were sent on to study the rest of the Old Testament. If you were not one of the best students, you didn't go on to study the rest of the Old Testament. If you were not one of the best, you went back home and you worked in the family business, whether it was fishing or whatever it may have been. But at the age of 17, if you were one of the best and you went on and you studied the Old Testament, at the age of around 17, if you wanted to go on and make a career out of religious studies, that is, you you kind of felt called into ministry as we would say today, your next step was to find a rabbi that you respected. You, you found this rabbi that you looked up to. You found this rabbi that you admired and you applied to be one of his disciples. You applied to be a follower. You didn't apply by filling out a form. Here's how you applied. You went and you found the, the, the rabbi that you admired and you sat at his feet. It was a way of saying, I want to be your follower. I want to be your disciple. Will you accept me? Now, the rabbi sitting there, seeing this young student, 17-year-old young man, sitting at his feet, would begin to ask that young guy, that young man, questions about the Torah, questions about the rest of the Old Testament, questions about his understanding, his grasp of the things of God. The reason he was asking that question was that he was weeding out those trying to find the very, very best to be his disciples, trying to find the very, very best to be his followers, but... He wasn't just trying to find the smartest and the brightest. 
Here's a very important point. Don't miss this. He was trying to find someone who he believed could become just like him. In other words, they were not just choosing someone who knew what they knew. They were choosing someone who could do what they did. You see, the goal of a disciple is to be like the rabbi. That's why you follow the rabbi. The goal of the disciple, the goal of that follower is to become like the rabbi. Not just to know what he knows, but to do what he does. Does that make sense? And so Jesus took that Jewish system and he flipped it. And he didn't go after the best and the brightest. He went after the willing. In fact, he went after a lot of folks that others would have overlooked. You might say Jesus went after the B team. Or maybe even the C team. But this new rabbi, Jesus, walked up to Simon one day and walked up to his brother Andrew, who were fishermen, and here's what he said. He said, follow me. Now, would you look at the text? I want you to see something really important. Uh, That's in verse uh, 17. Come, follow me. And then, at least in the English translation, the very next punctuation mark that you see there is a what? Comma. Come follow me, comma. Right? Now, now let's, let's be honest. You know how the way we usually translate this? We usually translate it this way. Come follow me, period. In other words, we want to limit following Jesus to knowing the right things about him. Following him. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yes, I, I believe in him. I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I, I know about him. I've learned from him. I'm a follower of Jesus. And wouldn't it be great if that's all it involved? I mean, wouldn't it be great if all it involved in following Jesus was just kind of living the way he lived and, and believing the things he believed and knowing the things that he knows? And we could just put a, a period there. That would be wonderful. It'd be very, very nice. But in reality, Jesus isn't calling us to simply know what he knows. Jesus is calling us to live the way he lived, to do what he did. Look at the text again. Come, follow me, comma, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. You see, God's goal for your life, church, is not just to make you a better person. God's goal for your life is not just that you'll you will be a nice person or that you'll know your Bible or that you'll go to church. Those are all great things. But when God works in your life, He's trying to transform you into a follower of Jesus. And that that doesn't mean that you know just stuff about Him. It means that you live the way He lived. Now, here's the interesting thing. Probably nobody told you about that when you signed up. Probably nobody said, hey, you know what? Being a follower of Jesus means that you not only know what he knows and believes what he believes, but it means that you live the way he lived. Being a follower of Jesus means that you'll also become a fisher of men. Nobody told you that more than likely when you got saved. You know why you got saved? Same reason I did, for purely selfish reasons. Right? Come on, let's be honest. You didn't want to go to hell, you want to go to heaven. You wanted your sins forgiven. Your life was in a mess. Your marriage was wrecked. Your your health was bad. You weren't sure if you were even going to live. There was some reason, something that prompted you 
to come to faith in Christ. In other words, you needed him. And you came to faith in Christ just like I did for purely selfish reasons. And there's nothing really wrong with that. I'm not criticizing that. I'm simply asking you this. What about all those other people who still need him? What about all those other people that that are around you and they still need him? They don't know him yet. Those people at your home or at your school or at your work, don't they need Jesus too? You see, we've forgotten something very, very important. We've forgotten what it was like to be lost. We've forgotten that we were once fish too. And somebody was bold enough Back when we were just a fish, somebody was bold enough to tell us about Jesus or somebody was bold enough to hand us a tract or somebody was bold enough to say, I'm praying for you. Somebody was bold enough to invite us to church. Somebody was bold enough to step into our life when we really needed to know who Jesus is. In fact, I bet if we had the time, if you are a Christian, I bet a lot of you can say, you know what, there was this man in my life when I was a young boy. Or, or, or my, my mom, or I had a co-worker, and somebody helped you probably to come to faith in Christ. Have you helped anybody? Take the step somebody helped you take? A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go back to Lenore, North Carolina, and I, I did the graveside service for a dear friend, uh, John Kirby. John Kirby was chairman of the search committee that brought me to Crestview in 1986. <clears throat> Dear godly man, it was an honor to, to do his graveside service. And after the graveside service, we went back to the church and we had lunch. And uh, I saw a guy, you know, you know when you've been, I've been here 22 years, so when you've been gone for a long time, people change, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I had hair back then, for goodness sake, you know? When, when we go back, they always say, Lisa, you haven't changed a bit. Keith, I wouldn't have recognized you. So, anyway, I saw this guy, and I instantly recognized him. His name's Tony. He's a wonderful guy. And, and I said, hey, Tony, how you doing, buddy? Good to see you. Here's what he said to me. He said, Keith, it's so good to see you. He said, I'll never forget the man who led me to faith in Christ. And then he said this. He said, Before I could say anything, he said, Keith, I'll never forget that day we sat in your pickup truck in the parking lot of Caldwell Memorial Hospital and you told me about Jesus. I don't say that to brag because I'll be honest with you, I I need to do that a whole lot more than I do. But the reason I share that story with you about Tony is this. Somebody who stepped into his life helped him understand who Jesus is. And he's never forgotten that person. And my question is, can you go shake anybody's hand? They would say, thank you. I'll never forget what you did for me. You see, our primary calling is not simply to be a follower of Jesus and and period. Our primary calling is to be a follower of Jesus, and part of that calling is to do what he did. Come follow me, he said, and I'll make you fishers of men. 
Here's the sec- second thing that you, you need to hear and we need to talk about. It's number two, Jesus can make us what we're not. Our primary calling is to do what he did, but number two, Jesus can make us what we are not. Verse 17, I, I've read it, but let's read it again. Come follow me, he said, and here's probably the four most important words, and I will make you, I will make you fishers of men. I love the fact that Jesus was up front with these first followers. I love the fact that he didn't get to sign, he didn't get them to sign the contract and not tell them about the fine print. I love the fact that he said, listen, if you're going to be one of my followers, if I'm going to be your rabbi, come follow me, and here's what's going to happen. In the process, I'm going to make you fisher of men. Now, he didn't say, if you'll follow me, I'll make you smarter. He didn't say, if you'll follow me, I'll, I'll make you a better husband. I'll make you a better wife. He didn't say, if you'll follow me, you'll be more spiritual. He didn't say, if you'll follow me, you'll be richer. He said, come follow me, and I will make you something you're not. Right now, you're just a fisherman. But if you'll, if you'll be my follower, I will make you a fisher of men. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you'll follow me long enough and far enough, I'm going to lead you beyond praying, bless me and help me and give me. If you'll follow me long enough and far, far enough, I'm going to help you understand that the focus doesn't need to be on you. The focus needs to be on those who don't know me. If you'll follow me long enough and far enough, I'll help you understand that part of following is fishing. For men, I will make you. <clears throat> it's interesting, by the end of the New Testament, that's exactly what was happening in the lives of these people, Simon and Andrew. But when you read by the end of the New Testament, when you read, that they've learned in that process how to do what Jesus did. They learned in that process, and, and you actually see it played out in, in the book of Acts them being fishers of men. They became men who took the message they heard Jesus preach and they shared it in their own spheres of influence and they shared it through their own personalities and they shared it uh, just in, in, in transparency. And a generation of people came to faith in Christ because of their willingness to share. And somebody else told another group of people and somebody else told another group of people and, an, and another group of people. And here we are over 2,000 years later, halfway around the world, and we're here today not just to celebrate Jesus is Lord and Savior of the world, but to celebrate Jesus is my Lord and the Savior of my life. And the reason is because somebody was fishing before you started following. Jesus shows us and tells us, you know what, what I want you to do? I want you to invest in your life in something that's going to outlive you. I want to invest your life in something of great importance. So if you're a businessman, follow me and I'll show you how to be a fisher of men. If you're a school teacher, follow me and I'll show you how to be a fisher of men. If you're a truck driver, use your time on the road and follow me and I'll show you how to be a fisher of men. If you're an appliance repairman, follow me and I'll show you how to be a fisher of men. And I just got to tell you, it may be awkward at first. And I'll have to tell you, you probably are not going to be very good at it at first. But it's really not about your availability. I mean, mean your ability, it's about your availability. It's about your willingness to say, you know what, I really do want to be a 
a committed follower of Jesus. And, and I now understand it's not just that I know what he knows, but I'm going to do what he did. That's what it means to be a full follower, fully devoted follower of Jesus. And wouldn't it be awful that you lived where you live, that you worked where you worked, that you went all the places that you went, but but you left it the way you found it? You never helped not even one person understand who Jesus is? Not even one? I sat down and I wrote a note to my dad. Dad's in heaven. Been in April. It'll be 19 years. And, and I just wrote this note to Dad. And part of the reason for writing the note is because maybe you need to write a note to somebody in your life. You know that 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 parent or that coworker or that uncle or that grandparent or that friend, that neighbor, somebody who really was instrumental in your faith faith journey, and they really did take the time to be bold enough and care enough to tell you about Jesus. So here's my letter to Dad. Dear Dad, I can still remember the first day you asked me about my relationship with God. It was at the corner of Broadway and Main Street as we sat at the red light. I told you that I had thought about asking Jesus into my heart, but I just wasn't ready. Sometime later, you asked me again about trusting Jesus as my Savior. We were sitting by the lake fishing, and I realize now that You were fishing for men while I was fishing for fish. You never pressured me into making a decision. You just showed me that you cared. That Sunday morning when I did ask Jesus into my heart was a day I'm sure you never forgot. And I know I didn't. Dad, thank you for taking the time to talk to me about Jesus. We've talked about a lot of things before, but nothing means as much to me as those conversations about Him. I pray that I'll carry on where you left off. Love you, Dad. Keith. Probably somebody like that in your life, if you know Christ. Somebody you can point to. Somebody you can thank. Somebody you're grateful for. Somebody who made a difference in you. First of all, write the letter. Thank them. Encourage them. Let them know what a difference it made. Then secondly, be the kind of person, the kind of follower of Jesus that does that for somebody else. I mean, it's really plain, isn't it? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Either he was lying, or we're not living it. Follow me. Let me be your rabbi. Follow me, and I'll teach you how to do what I do. That's what he was saying. So, that's why we have these cards, and I've asked you to bring them back filled out today. I gave them out last week and asking you just put the name of one person. Who's the one person that over the next 12 months you could pray for that person and, 
and eventually share Christ with them over the next 12 months. And we've got reading, I'm, I'm sorry, prayer guides out at all the tables now where for the next 30 days, it gives you a prayer to pray every day for, the, for your one. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to, at these tables and in the front, uh, there's a table out there, and just drop your card in the basket out there with the name, hopefully just the first name of your one, because we're going to put these on a wall, display them on a wall. So just the first name. You say, oh man, I forgot my card. That's, there's plenty of extras. So go by, pick up one of those cards on the table, take that Sharpie marker and write their first name, and then just drop it in the basket. And, and just say, okay, for the next 12 months, God is my witness. For the next 12 months, and with His help, I'm going to pray for that person. I'm going to pray for them by name, and I'm going to look for an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Because surely, surely I can do that for one person in the next 12 months. So let's pray for them right now. Would you join me? <clears throat> I do pray, Father, that you would help us to not just to believe what Jesus believed and know what he knew, but to do what he did. I pray that you would give us that perspective, give us that desire, give us that, that drive, give us that willingness, uh, Lord, to share Jesus and to live that lifestyle. And Father, I pray uh, for those who may not know you as Savior, that they're here today and they, they've never responded to the gospel. I pray that even during this time of singing, this invitation, someone might respond and say, yes, I want Jesus in my life. And I pray they'll respond today. And then, Lord, I also want to pray for those who, uh, <clears throat> who would say, I really don't know any lost people. I, my world is church, and I, I don't know very many people around me who don't have a relationship with God. God, would you bring some people into our path? Help us to be more mindful and aware and bring someone across our path that we might bring to you. And I pray that in Christ's name, amen.